We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast. Thanks to those of you who decided to tune in to this episode after a horrible experience watching football last Saturday. I'm Justin Graver. With me, as always, Justin Mello. Before we get too deep, I should say... We're brought to you by Broadway Sports Media. Check out broadwaysportsmedia.com, partnered with 440 Sports. Justin, I said it at the end of last week's show that there was a chance we would be previewing a Titans offseason instead of a Titans AFC championship game, but I didn't think there was a good chance. How are you How are you feeling tonight? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty terrible loss they experienced on Saturday. We're not going to sugarcoat it. Throughout the course of this episode, we're going to recap it, we're going to dissect it, and we're going to talk about what it means um, for them going forward. Uh, It's definitely uh, a really, really grim situation. A lot of talk around the team, the media, Twitter, wherever you consume Titans content about if the Titans have hit their ceiling with quarterback Ryan Tannehill, if offensive coordinator Todd Downing should be one of the many coaches to be let go this week we'll get into all that let's talk about the news first the titans have let go of four assistant coaches in uh this was not announced by the team this was just unearthed by media reporters doing their job brent doherty had the first ones buck rising had another one but the four guys that mike rabel has dismissed from his staff are inside linebackers coach jim hazlitt assistant defensive line coach kenichi udeze assistant special teams coach Matt Edwards, and assistant strength and conditioning coach Mondre G, all removed from their positions. John Glennon wrote an article about it on SI.com. Credit to him. That's where I just read that list from. Interesting list. I think three of these names are pretty uneventful. I think maybe um, assistant special teams coach deserves a little bit more talk than the other two. Inside linebackers coach Jim Hazlitt, though, former NFL head coach, and not just a head coach, former head coach of Mike Vrabel. What are your thoughts on these moves? Yeah, the Hazlitt one is obviously the biggest one. No one's going to deny that. A a veteran coach, a guy that Mike Vrabel knows so well. A guy that wasn't all that popular here in Tennessee, I don't think, (laughs) based on how the inside linebackers position group has performed throughout the years. I will say I think Rashawn Evans probably regressed under Hazlitt. I don't know that that's Hazlitt's fault. I think Rashawn Evans is prob- probably is who he is. Um, one may argue that Jayon Brown regressed a little under Hazlitt's watch. I might say that Jayon Brown's dealt with a lot of injuries over the last two seasons, and that probably has a lot to do with, with his performance lately and kind of how he's fallen down the pecking order. I mean, David Long's a guy that's, Took a step forward, I think you'd have to say, right? Under Hazlitt is, is a really good linebacker now. Uh, Cunningham, I don't think you can give Hazlitt any credit for him, but by the end of the year, you know, they're playing pretty well together. Cunningham and Long formed a good duo. I, I don't feel strongly one way or another about Hazlitt. Um, I, I do obviously think it's a, it's, a, it's a relatively big move. It's the biggest out of all of these. The others, I'll be honest with you, the other three, that sounds a whole lot like uh, I'm reminded of the office and Dwight Schrute. That sounds like assistant to the assistant regional manager, like made up positions, right? That probably uh, don't mean a lot. I, I think Kenichi Udeze uh, was in his first year uh, as an NFL coach, period. So uh, perhaps he just didn't cut it right in, in the league. Uh, these other guys, again, assistant strength and conditioning assistant, you know, it's just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot there. It's normal turnover, right? Every, every NFL staff every year, is going to go through some of these things, but obviously nothing overly drastic here. Uh, It's early, but it indicates that Mike Vrabel is largely staying the course, right? Not just with Todd Downing as the offensive coordinator, but Craig Ockerman is the special teams coordinator. I think there's a fair shot there for both of them. Uh, People aren't happy with either of them, but as of now, um, very similar to last off season, maybe right. Where Vrabel stuck by Shane Bowen and Hey, let's, let's be honest. I think we all felt strongly, or at least you should have, (laughs) felt strongly about firing Shane Bowen 
than we do right now about Todd Downing. At, at least I think it would it would lean in that direction. And Rabel stuck by Boa, and that turned out to be a really good decision. And you hope this kind of proves more of the same. Yeah, assuming that Downing doesn't get let go sometime later this week. It seems to be all defensive guys, at least at first. And then you got the special teams coach, and then you got the strength conditioning coach. But no, no members of the offensive staff let go, which, I mean... I think personally not to dismiss anything you just said about Jim Hazlitt and the linebackers because I agree with most of that, but I think it's a mistake to try to correlate the actual performance of any particular unit or position group to these moves today. It's like, I don't think we can say like, oh, the linebackers played well or didn't play well or like David Long was awesome or Sean Evans sucked. I don't think you can say like, oh, they had all these hamstring injuries. So that's why the assistant strength and conditioning coach guy was let go. I don't think you can say, oh, the special teams unit we talked about after, what was it, the Houston game or maybe the Miami game? We talked about how poor that unit was. It in was a the game. Houston game, right? I think they had the muffed punt with Chester Rogers right. in the Houston game. And Rogers' decision-making on when to call fair catch and not call fair catch, even yeah. in this last playoff game, was not not very the good. The bold but... guy with, with defenders right <laughs> in his face. It's not <laughs> something I'm a fan of. But I think that this has a lot more to do with whatever we don't know is happening behind the scenes, whatever other random, like who knows what random responsibilities Mike Vrabel or these guys, like you said, assistant to the assistant, like whatever the actual position coach needed from these guys or was asking these, these guys to do, I think means a lot more than like how a specific position group was performing on the field. So I, I think not to cut you off, but I think sometimes people forget that at the end of the day, football is still a job and the Tennessee Titans are still a business and an organization, right? So sometimes these people, we don't know what all their duties are behind the scenes. We don't know what roles um, they take on. And sometimes it's a job, like I said. So sometimes uh, things aren't going well at the office, right? At the office building. It's not just what you see on the field on Sunday. So that's what a lot of these moves I think come down to ultimately. And it's interesting you talk about Todd Downing and people who want, who maybe wanted Shane Bowen gone even more this time last year than people want Todd Downing gone right now. I think that's probably true, but maybe it doesn't feel like it right now. And I think that would largely be because of recency bias. Todd yes. Downing's been criticized by fans all season, but to me, it's always been the type of criticism that's like, I can't really tell what's happening, so I'm going to be mad at the offensive coordinator because the play is not working. And, like, (laughs) it goes back to debates Titans fans have had since Malarkey was a head coach. Is it about scheme or is it about execution? It's like, is it about Todd Downing's play calling and scheme? Is it about execution? I definitely think Todd Downing is an average at best offensive coordinator in the league, possibly below average. Our newest Broadway contributor, James at no flags film on Twitter has a great YouTube channel, no flags film as well, where he's been breaking down Todd Downing's play calling tendencies and how in this particular formation, they would run a screen to Chester Rogers very often. And he said something like, if this is no flags film talking, if me, a guy who faked his being a high school football coach so that I could get a huddle account can identify your screen tendencies, then I guarantee a defensive coordinator can identify them too. It's obvious that Mike Hilton identified the screen tendency as he jumped right in Tannehill's face, deflected the pass, made an unbelievable play on the ball, but still a ball that should have never been thrown. So I do think there are a lot of criticisms that are fair of Todd Downing, but I also think, you know, it's not necessarily like, oh, give him a chance to improve. It was his first year on the job. It was his first year as the Titans offensive coordinator. Everyone knows he spent a year as the offensive coordinator for the Raiders a few uh, years back, but there was a lot. Zach Lyons of Broadway put out a great article when Todd Downing was announced as the offensive coordinator about how that Raiders organization was in a really weird place. Downing was a puppet for the head coach who had fired his actual off- his offensive coordinator right before that, and Downing was running somebody else's offense. Now, Downing may have been running somebody else's offense here too because it was the offense that Matt LaFleur installed and passed down to Art Smith, who passed it down to Todd Downing. It's what we wanted, though, right? Like, not to cut you off, but we, we didn't want him to come in and reinvent, reinvent the wheel. Exactly. I agree. And I think that maybe, like, there were a lot of situational play calls that I think could have been better. That's something Todd Downing can evaluate with Mike Vrabel over the offseason and hopefully get better at if he comes back. If he doesn't come back, like, who? honestly, who cares? Like, it's not like the offense was anything good to write home about, but I'm also not, like, pounding the table for him to be fired. I feel the exact same way. I'm kind of indifferent. I think it's that's where you should be on Todd Downing. I think if you're, you know, level-headed, I think you wouldn't be screaming one way or the other. One thing I I will say in 
quote unquote support of him or his Saturday performance. Um, and again, you can, you can call this execution, whatever you want, but it really blew me away. Uh, uh, Robert Greenlaw, right. Of, of Broadway sports and of the fantasy flex podcast, who does the fantastic, uh, terrible Twitter takes article. It's got a lot of traction on Twitter um, yards per play for all eight teams in the divisional round. And this, I, I found this astounding. What would you have said if I told you the Tennessee Titans averaged more yards per play than the Buffalo bills did in their loss to the Kansas city chiefs? I mean, we all watched that chiefs bills game. We all call and rightfully so, but we all called it an instant classic. We were all blown away by the performance of those quarterbacks. Buffalo Bills put up 36 points. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it wasn't a better offensive performance than the Titans. It obviously was by by a long shot. But can you believe that the Bills have averaged 6.7 yards per play in that game, and the Titans averaged 6.8 yards per play against the Bengals? Now, yes, it only represents. yard more per play. It's not like they blew them out of the water, but that's not the point. The point is if I, if if you guessed and you knew that the bills averaged 6.7 yards per play, you probably would have said, Oh, what are the Titans average? 5.5, 5.6. You would have guessed it probably a full yard behind the bills, right? Based on the outcomes of those games and how good Josh Allen looked and and yada, yada. But that, that was an astounding fact to me. That's one thing I'll say in somewhat in support of Todd Downing's performance on Saturday. Secondly, I didn't have a ton of issues with the plays that he called. I mean, if, if there's one or two that stick out to me, uh, maybe it's the fourth down run to Henry. Uh, maybe it's the two point conversion run to Henry. But then again, call me old school. When you've got a, a, a fucking six foot three, 250 pound back in your backfield, that's a 2000 yard rusher. And you're, you're paying all that money to block up front execute. Yeah. I do want to give him the ball on fourth and one execute your blocks, pick up the first down. I don't, I'm not one of those guys that sits here and says, oh, that, that those fourth down runs to Henry are too predictable. No, he's 6'3, 250. Block your man. You know, that, that's that's how I feel with short yardage runs. And then on top of it, uh, the one play call, truthfully, that I might have had more of an issue with than that one or the two point conversion um, is the screen pass that Mike Hilton picked Same. off. Because uh, you look, if you analyze that drive, they were running the ball at a really high level. They had drive. one of those drives going where an Art Smith did this a few times, and the Titans offense has done this. You have going back. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> going back three years or so, when the Titans offense has struggled, they've come out in the second half of games and had these drives where they just handed off every play. Uh-huh. And it was one of those drives, and it was working. Yes. And the offensive line, which had been beat up for most of the game, including the third and one, fourth and one plays, the two-point conversion. Like, the offensive line wasn't getting a ton of push until this drive. And if you're Taylor Lewan, who who wears the run the damn ball hat and the rest of that line and the run backs left, in the backfield, yeah, and, and Deontay Foreman, who had four carries for 60-something yards in this game, like, hello, feed this guy who's on fire. I I just was so frustrated when they called the screen there and i do agree that Tannehill has to eat that play either throw it in the dirt or take the sack or throw it high out of bounds do anything other than throw it right where mike hilton's hands are and again it was an unbelievable play by hilton to come down with interception like usually that's just a tipped incomplete pass but it's the playoffs and playmakers like that's how playoff games are won is who makes more plays in those big clutch moments Anyway, I totally agree with you. And they had run a screen out of that same formation earlier in the game. They went for like two or three yards. So it's like the Bengals clearly understand this formation and this play with the same pre-snap motion. Like, come on. Talk about predictable. Like, that's predictable. And it's still on the flip side. uh, Not uh, Maybe not the flip side. Different play. But uh, it is worth mentioning that fourth and one that they didn't pick up. Um, talk about Tannehill on third and one, cause that was so damning, right? That was, if you, you know, if you understand the game, you read it at a high level. Okay. You're, you're, you should not be complaining about the play call there. Cause how many of us have gone on Twitter and talked about how that RPO, that Tannehill keeper is undefeated. Yada, yada. We've all said this, but at the end of the day, I mean, Cincinnati did a pretty good job sniffing it out, obviously, but that, that, that failure to convert that third and one falls on Tannehill, man. Cause you, as soon as you see the safety Von Bell, Von Bell, I think it was is walking up to the line of scrimmage. Uh, there, you know, you you know, you got to hand that thing off to Henry. On top of it, Trey Hendrickson, who I, I think it was Trey Hendrickson, was the end. Um, he didn't take the bait. I don't remember if it might have been Hubbard. It might have been. You might be right. Might have been Hubbard. You might be. Might I, I think Hubbard you're right. Too. I actually think it was Hubbard, but know. he didn't take the bait. Like he stayed home. He wasn't. 
He wasn't buying it. Hand the damn thing off to Henry. Henry gets the first down. It's almost like Tannehill premeditated that he was going to keep the ball on that play because he usually keeps it and because it, it usually works. But there's no point in running that play if you're premeditating, right? It is called an option. You have to be able to make the option. I'll say about that play that when Tannehill, when I was watching this live and at first when Tannehill kept it, because how many of us knew when they went into shotgun, like, oh, this is the readout. Like when they came out in third and extremely short, which they could have QB sneaked and probably picked I, up. By the way, I just, I just want to make it known that I'm not going not it didn't work. I was, you know, kind of yelling at the television uh, way before, you know, no, not even that the third and one I was going run the sneak, just run this, yes. just get this. Just yeah, pick this I up. Agree. You don't you don't need five, six, seven yards. There was what six, seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. I think it was was it still a tie ball game? I think it was 16-16 already at that point. I think just pick up the first down, run the sneak. Yeah, agreed. And the, but the one thing I'll say on that play is that as much as like we love that play, I think the Bengals knew it was coming. And I mean, it's clear they knew it was coming. The yeah. Bengals had a bead on basically all the Titans offensive tendencies in this game. I think in the situational moments, the two point conversion, the third and down, the third down and one, the fourth down and one, the screen pass we talked about, like the, the Bengals did their homework, obviously, and they were more prepared for facing the Titans offense than the Titans offense was for facing their defense. That is a damning evidence of Todd Downing, but that third and one, when Tannehill first kept it, I was watching Henry and Henry hit the hole like he's supposed to fake doing like he pretends like he has the ball and that safety was right in the hole. So I honestly don't know, like agreed Tannehill made the wrong read because Tannehill's read is the defensive end. If the end stays home, you hand off the ball and the end stayed home. So he hundred percent should have handed off the ball, but I don't know that Henry would have picked it up either. And I think that's a play where they have like 10 guys at the line of scrimmage before you snap the ball in this critical moment, you call timeout and you run a different play. You come back out on the field. You say the Bengals were ready for the read option. They were going to stop both options. So you call a different play and you do something different. Now the fourth and one, I don't mind that play call at all. And I watched football the rest of this weekend, just like in, in the sense of like, living vicariously through the other teams and wishing that the Titans had been able to do some of these things that the other teams did. The yeah. Buccaneers came out in a fourth and one from close to the same spot on the field, maybe 10 yards closer to the end zone. And they hand it to Leonard Fournette who kind of starts up towards the right guard, bounces it outside and runs for a fucking touchdown. And the Rams clearly knew that it was a run. Like they were ready to stop the handoff, but yeah. Fournette still got in the end zone. Like why can't, why couldn't Derrick Henry have gotten in the end zone on that play? Well, you know, one so thing like, I will say about the fourth down play, and I know I defended it, but uh, one thing I did notice is there was a lot of activity coming up the A-gap from the Bengals, like pre-snap even. They were they were filling up that A-gap. and you, part another of your one. Wonders, yeah, you if, can call timeout, or Tannehill yeah. can check out of that play. Check out of the or play, if he, yeah. If he doesn't have a check on that, then you call timeout. I mean, I so I think that the loss, if you're trying to pin the loss on somebody, and I, I don't really love that game, but – if you're trying to pin the loss on one person, I do think you look at Ryan Tannehill and Todd Downing is a close second. Now I agree. Like it wasn't all bad, but the situational stuff, uh, we talked about this before on, on our preview podcast, the game was going to come down to who can convert situationally in their on third down in the red zone. And the fact that the Titans averaged 6.7 yards, 6.8 yards per play, second most of any team in wild, uh, divisional round weekend and only scored 16 points is just unacceptable. Sickening and, uh, you're right. Like I, I hate playing that blame game, but it, it is what it is, man. It's, it's Ryan Tannehill truthfully, like 6.8 yards per play. It's a three. Why don't you win the game? It's a three interceptions is why they didn't win the game. Like it just, it is what it is. And I know Mike Rabel stood up there on Monday, his end of year, uh, you know, press conference meeting with the reporters. And he talked about the execution and he talked about, uh, but he defended Tannehill, right? He defended Tannehill staunchly. So but it's, it's hard to not put this one on Tannehill. It really is. I felt like he was late with throws all day, starting with the very first throw of the game where he had Julio. If he, hit, if he fires at the top of his drop, he's got Julio. But he waited, he waited, and then he fired. And to, I mean, Julio's own detriment on that play, he just stood there at the route depth. Like, you got to come back to the ball, especially when the safety's crashing hard, and at least make a play to break it up or tackle the safety. Like, get a 15-yard pass interference penalty. Don't let him pick the ball off. So 
that was not good by by Julio either. But it never the ball never should have been thrown that late by Tannehill. And he, I felt like he was kind of staring guys down most of the day. He stared Julio down on that one. Stared Julio down on that one. He stared Nick Westbrook Aquino down when Julio wasn't even on the field on the last play of the game, second year in a row that Ryan Tannehill has ended the Titans season with a with a game losing playoff interception, which is just a crazy a, thing. Two, an average receiver, a receiver three or four. Yeah, to when you have better guys that are on the sideline, Corey Davis on the sideline last year, Julio on the sideline this year. To Tannehill's credit, the touchdown pass to A.J. Brown was a phenomenal throw. Unbelievable throw. An unbelievable catch by A.J., but he never makes that catch if Tannehill doesn't place the ball literally perfectly into A.J.'s arm as if he was like running with the ball tucked high and tight. (laughs) That was an unbelievable throw. He dropped that thing right in the bread basket. It was unbelievable. But the but the consistency throughout the game just wasn't there from him, and I think that that's where you look at because when you set a, a NFL when you tie the NFL record for for sacks in a playoff game with nine, and you set a franchise record for sacks in a playoff game with nine, and you hold a really good Bengals offense full of playmakers to nineteen points, sixteen and you gave points them like with six of them, yeah, sixteen points with thirty seconds left in the game. And Jamar Chase had a couple of big plays, but he, I mean, for the yeah. most part, the Titans shut him down. T. Higgins had one big catch. For the most part, Titans shut him down. Don't Titans burrow and throw a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy that that the only quarterback who threw a touchdown on Saturday was Ryan Tannehill, and he lost. But another funny stat from Rob Green, Robert Greenlaw, by the way, is um, Tannehill has never won a playoff game in which he threw for more than 100 yards in the <laughs> Titans wins against the Patriots and the Ravens in 2019. He threw for under hundred yards it, in both games. Usually, it's kind of insane that he threw for under hundred yards in that Ravens game. Cause wasn't the Khalif Raymond touchdown like 50 yards. <laughs> yeah, Something like that. Close to it. Like how the yards, hell yeah. did he not throw for, I'm not blaming him at, for that, but how the hell looking back, did he not throw another like 60 yards in that entire game? I don't think the touchdown was less than 40 yards to Khalif Raymond. Yeah. So that doesn't yeah. make any sense, but go on. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. But anyway, I just it just is sickening to see them waste a defensive performance that was, I mean, all-time defensive front performance. Jeffrey Simmons, three sacks that will be forgotten and lost to the ether. It was like the way the Titans dominated that Rams game, but they just needed, because Ryan Tannehill played so poorly for most of the game, they needed a Kevin Byard pick six or a Harold Landry strip sack or something. Just like ridiculous. They had, they had an unbelievable Amani Hooker interception, which is one of the best what? interceptions I've ever seen in my life. Oh, my God. Not talking about it enough. I don't, what but, the hell? Like, well, I, I've watched it a hundred times. And I'm just like, I have no goddamn idea how the hell he came up with that football. Yeah, unreal to keep it from like I mean it it's barely touched the ground, but it didn't move. I think it was the right call that it was an interception and and that play, Simmons plays, the the ability that the Titans defense had to shut down an offense that is really good, that put up 33 or 30 or whatever they did to Kansas City a few weeks ago, and now they get to play Kansas City again. Like it's all gonna be lost to the to the history. Like no one's gonna care about or remember it's, such an insane game because the offense was so bad. And that is just a sad thing. It's, it's really so, so sickening, truthfully, because what makes it so damning is all they need to win that game is a below average performance from Ryan Tannehill. Like that's, that's how bad it was. It wasn't even below average. It was worse than that, obviously, because it was three interceptions that were essentially all on him. I understand Mike Hilton made a great play on the ball. That's the only one you might be able to argue, but I still think he's got to eat that ball. So all they needed was a below average performance. They needed him to come in and be freaking Andy Dalton. That's just, right. they needed him to come in. Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> yes, literally Jimmy, what Jimmy Garoppolo did later that night, just not turn over the football three times. If he turns it over once, they win that game. Twice. They might still win if he turns it over twice. That's if he fun. doesn't throw the, the last interception with 30 seconds left, Anthony Ferkser has been pointed out a million times. Anthony Ferkser was wide open underneath. And I know a lot of people say, well, if you throw it to Ferkser, he's probably not picking up the first down. I disagree. I saw the end zone view. And earlier in the route, there was a screenshot that got widely shared on Twitter that was pretty late in the route. And Ferkser did have a guy bearing down on him. But early in the route, when Ferkser was still in the, about the middle of the field, he could have caught and run that thing for 15 yards. Titans call timeout, and they're like 10 yards away from field goal range at that point. Instead, Tannehill's locked downfield. 
He's got all his receiving options except for Ferkser are like 15 yards downfield. He never looks at the check down. The Bengals are obviously playing not to give up 15 yards because they don't they don't want to give up a field goal to lose the game. So take your check down, Ryan. Like what? Uh, and what, what are you I, doing? I, I haven't seen that view that you saw. I'd love to see it. But not enough people to me were talking about, I think it was Dontrell Hilliard in the flat. Like Dontrell Hilliard's got one-on-one near the sticks. Like I know no one knows who Hilliard is outside of you know Nashville, but he's made a couple guys miss this year. Like he's made some plays with the ball in his hand. He Swing did it in this game. And give him one-on-one. He did it earlier in this game when he caught a pass near the sideline on like third and short, and he made a great spin move back inside and extended to get the first down. And it's it just, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so sad. Man. And it is. And, and, and let's be, there are real ramifications here for this fan base with this loss. And it's uh, unfortunate. I don't think we're being, I don't think we're blowing it out of proportion because this is the second year in a row where you have won the division. Hell, you know, as we know, this time you were the number one seed. You had everything you needed going for you. All 22 starters back and healthy. Derrick Henry back and healthy. Second year in a row where you've lost your first home playoff game. 0-2 in the playoffs since winning your division back-to-back years. And you pissed down your leg both times, right? Like it's it's really, really damning for this fan. I'll, I'll say this. I don't want to get into all this, but I wonder if they do something bold. I know they probably can't, but a lot of times we don't talk enough about, you know, front office and executives and how they view this and how ownership views this with a $500 million renovation coming up to that stadium. Boy, it's a real bad time for this fan base to be checking out. Well, and it's really sad because I don't know if you saw the the video that corked bats put out before the game, but Austin, who runs Corked Bats, went on and did gave like a five minute rant about how Nissan Stadium needed to be as loud as it was in the early 2000s when it was known as one of the toughest places to play. And early in this game, it was that loud and the Bengals couldn't hear anything. And you see Joe Burrow putting his hands over his ear holes on his helmet and running back to the sideline to get the play call. And the announcers are talking about how they can't hear the whistle. Cause there was like a delay of game that, that erased a Jeffrey Simmons, what would have been his fourth sack. And um, they, the announcers are talking about how loud it is. I, I fear you lose that. Like you yeah. built up that in with a great season to get the one seed. And this is what you do with it. And we talked last week about not blowing this insane opportunity and how Kevin Byard talked about knowing what it was like to be what the mindset of going to a one seed to try to pull off the upset was like. And nothing uh, uh, against Kevin Byard because the defense did their part. They <laughs> they played out of their minds in this game Super outside Bowl caliber defense. The only thing they didn't play, the only thing they didn't do well was they allowed freaking Jamar Chase to get open with 30 seconds left and get in field goal range in one play. Like that was actually a, a pretty huge blunder by them. Yes. They, that game didn't have to end on the Tannehill interception. It still could have gone to overtime, but the defense gave up one play. Yeah, like they had one yards, play. I think it was, and it was the first to play. 20 I yards against cover two, which is. And it was, wasn't it not the same route they had kind of been running all game long? They, they hit well, T Higgins on a couple times. Yeah, and and this is like the Titans were running the cover two shell, which is designed to take away that route. And Jamar Chase still got open against it and still caught the ball. Joe Burrow delivered a perfect pass, but like Janoris, Jackrabbit, whatever. I'm not going to call you Jackrabbit, you motherfucker, because you should have been there. (laughs) You should have been there defending that play. But no, he played a great game outside of that one play. But uh, and the defense did too. But I want to talk about something before we get to your front office question because I do think that's a great place to go here in a second but first i have to give you a little bit of props that you probably don't want because after the jets game after the texans game after the patriots game after the steelers game i said things like well the offense was fine except for the turnovers they moved the ball they got down the field the only thing they didn't do well was protect the ball and finish drives when they were able to move it and i said all of that will go away when they get all their healthy playmakers back, when they got Henry and AG and Julio all in the field together. The, that was just a fluky, weird thing, and the offense will be fine and fix itself, and they'll get back to scoring 30 points a game, and they'll be able to, to succeed. And you know what? The only thing the Titans needed to do in this game was not have one of those insanely weird, productive on offense, but turnover-filled games and they come out in their first playoff game and have one of those games, it's almost too predictable. Like, 
the one thing that had bit them in the butt all season that had been their kryptonite. And like the only reason they lost four of their five games, the fifth one being the opening game of the year against the Cardinals where they just weren't ready to play. Their other four losses were all this exact game that they played against the Bengals on Saturday. So that is just so frustrating that, that they couldn't correct that issue. And it's not a team issue. It comes down to one guy. And I think that will lead us perfectly into this conversation. Is Russell Wilson an option? Is Aaron Rodgers an option? Are, are, is Derek Carr an option? Are any of these quarterbacks that could be on the move in the quarterback carousel this offseason an actual option for the Tennessee Titans? I don't think so, but what do you think? No, I don't think so either. I think we're all in agreement on this. Pretty much everyone at Broadway, if you follow our accounts, you've seen the salary cap ramifications by now. I don't even know if we got to run through them, but no, right? Like I, that deal, they're just not getting out of that deal until after the next season, which is the 2022 season. I, I can't imagine here. I think what they'll probably do is they'll draft a quarterback and more so in the mid rounds, I don't think they'll use a first round pick on a quarterback. I think they'll draft one somewhere between rounds two to four. And yes, I know they don't have a second round pick right now, but they, you know, they could always get one. Um, I think they'll draft a quarterback in those middle rounds, see if they get lucky, see if they, you know, get a Dak Prescott, a, a guy that's worth developing into something. Uh, but more, uh, but more likely than not, you're probably really becoming aggressive next off season to find a quarterback in the future. Agreed. I think the way Tannehill's contract is structured is just going to make it too prohibitive for to move him. I don't know if anyone's taking on that contract after his playoff performances, and I don't think that you really have a realistic replacement that's going to be an upgrade. Like Derek Carr to me, not an upgrade. Jimmy Garoppolo could be on the move in San Francisco, not an upgrade. Aaron Rodgers, God, no. not realistic. Russell Wilson for Tannehill, like that seems like the most realistic, and I would put the odds of that happening at one percent. Like still extremely unrealistic and that's the most realistic so i agree they they probably do draft somebody i think it's another wasted cole mcdonald pick that they could just take a special teamer or a kicker or a tight end at instead but they're going to waste it on a quarterback most likely and see if they can develop something the, the only thing that i'll say there that's interesting is cole mcdonald luke falk those came in like the seventh round i think six one seven, of them yeah. might have been the sixth one was a six one was a seven i think i think cole mcdonald was a seven i'm pretty sure and yeah. falk i think was a sixth. but they didn't have a seventh the year they drafted falk so that may be the reason it was a sixth. yeah so if they do pick one it'll obviously be earlier than that so i don't think we can automatically call it a cole mcdonald or a luke falk because if you're getting a quarterback in the second third fourth round uh it should obviously be one that has more potential than those guys did yeah, true. I agree. But to be honest with you, like Tannehill is going to be the Titans starting quarterback for all of 2022 unless he gets hurt. Like, let's be realistic about this. And that leads me to the next question that I want to talk about. Is this the Titans ceiling with Ryan Tannehill? A playoff contender, potential get to the AFC championship game, but never going to win a Super Bowl because Tannehill is just too limited. Do you think that this is the case? Is this an overreaction to a bad game on Saturday coming off of a great game week 18 against Houston? Granted, Houston's defense is nothing to write home about, but I mean, is this the ceiling? Have we seen the ceiling? Is that all the Titans can do? Because Nashville media this week is generally in agreement that the Titans are never going to go to a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill, especially not going to win one. I lean towards yes, that it is their ceiling. Um, you've now lost in the playoffs three years in a row. You've lost in every round. That's not the Super Bowl, right? You've lost in the AFC championship game. You've lost in the divisional round. Then you've lost in the wild card round, but that AFC championship game, you've been chasing that high ever since. Right. And, and, and you've pissed down your leg two years in a row, as I said. So I, I do lean towards that. They have hit their ceiling with Ryan Daniel and that they can't reach a Super Bowl with him as their quarterback. One thing I will say on the flip side, if I'm going to play devil's advocate against myself and I plan to bring this up earlier and I just didn't get a chance to, um, if you watched Mike Vrabel's end of year press conference, him talking about Ryan Tannehill, him talking about Todd Downing, him talking about the offense, his comments were awfully similar to the comments he made a year ago, again, about the defense, where whenever wanted to blame Shane Bowen, he kind of shifted blame towards personnel. They overhauled the personnel, and obviously they got a lot better in 2021. If you listen to his comments about the offense and about Tannehill specifically, it really sounded like to me that they like they being him and John Rob as their quarterback. So I think what they're going to do this offseason is they're going to 
try to bring in a better wide receiver three. They're going to try to bring in better tight ends, probably at the tight end one and two position. And they might do something on the offensive line that tries to improve the pass protection that was shoddy. Um, interesting to see, because look, Rabel and Robinson, they were right about the defense, right? They overhauled that. They got this thing right. Will they be right about the offense? Are they right about Ryan Tannehill? Because I think they still like Ryan Tannehill. Can they get more out of him by bringing in uh, a couple of different pieces? So that'll be interesting to monitor next year because that's how I think they view this. Yeah, I kind of I kind of tend to agree, although I don't know that this is the ceiling. I mean, Tannehill has had mostly ups. He's had ups and downs. He hasn't been good in the playoffs, but... I think ultimately the Titans offense just wasn't prepared to take advantage of a, a what's not really been a great Bengals defense. And they weren't prepared the last time they played the Bengals either a year ago. That's two years in a row that Jesse Bates has picked off Ryan Tannehill. And I think that this Bengals defense just has some Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals has a bead on this Titans offense. And is that Tannehill's fault? Is that Downing's fault? I don't know. Tannehill obviously has to be better. And I'm not trying to make excuses for anyone because there are no excuses for how anyone played on Saturday. And by anyone, again, I mean Ryan Tannehill. Everyone else played pretty good. Ryan Tannehill didn't play so good. But I also wonder how much Todd Downing and Mike Vrabel and the Titans offensive staff said, we got Derrick Henry back. Everything is just going to fix itself. And that's a mistake to say anything like that or to believe that. But it did feel like maybe Henry... Henry wasn't their best running back in this game. Deontay Foreman was on four freaking carries. So maybe Henry wasn't ready to carry the load they gave him. Maybe the, I mean, they, they opened the game with play action. I think a hundred million people in the world could have told you that the Titans are going to open this game with play action. They got Derrick Henry back. The play action game is going to be open. Let's, everyone's going to expect us to hand it to Henry on the first play of the game. No, we're going to run play action. And I was watching this game with somebody on, on Saturday. And after they, that first possession, when they got the ball back for their second possession, I, I said to the person I was watching this with, I will bet you my life. This is a handoff to Derrick Henry because after the first possession, when they didn't hand it off to Derrick Henry on the first play, like, they're itching to give the ball to Henry. Like they weren't planning obviously to have a one play drive, but I mean, so again, it all comes back to what I think was a predictable offense that asked your quarterback to make plays in a predictable offense that the defense knew was coming. Therefore not setting up your quarterback for success. And I don't have too many specific examples. So I'm kind of like straw manning, not straw manning. What's the word I'm, I'm looking for here, but, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but my point is, I think Todd Downing did not do Ryan Tannehill any favors. Does Ryan Tannehill need to be better? Yes. Todd Downing also needs to be a lot better. So long story short, I think the Titans can get to a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill. If Jimmy Garoppolo can go to a Super Bowl, which he's been to once already and potentially going to again, then the Titans can go to a Super Bowl. And when Jimmy Garoppolo went to a Super Bowl, the Niners had an unbelievable defensive line and a great defense and yada, yada, yada. They didn't have that great of offensive weapons. Debo Samuel was a rookie, and, and Jimmy Garoppolo is average at best, right? The Titans have oh. that, that kind of defense this year. They had it. Okay. And yeah, it's Ryan Tannehill's fault that they didn't go further. But I think Ryan Tannehill can go to a Super Bowl. He just has oh. to play better than he played on Saturday. And he's capable of playing better. That's my whole point. I don't know. I feel like I'm totally alone on this. And I hate defending Ryan Tannehill after the game he played on Saturday. What I, what but, I will say, to your point, and I think I can bring this thing home here, is change the conversation slightly. Can the Titans go to the Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill? Yes. I will say yes, it is possible. But I think the issue I have with that is what does it take? Because if Jimmy Garoppolo is going to the Super Bowl this year, it took a, a damn blocked punt return for a touchdown. It took a blocked field goal before halftime. It took holding Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers to 10 points of offense and the greatest, one of the better defensive performances you've seen in recent years. So can those things happen for the Titans? Yes, they can. Do you want to count on those things happening do you want to rely on those things being your path to get to a super bowl no you don't because the chances of those things happening are very slim i don't know how you see that and think that's i'm not saying you specifically but how you see that that's the path to a super bowl with ryan Tannehill. good friggin luck i'll wish you good luck right now because you're gonna need it and on top of it 
how did you spend the next night watching the Kansas City Chiefs Buffalo Bills game, which was probably the real AFC championship game, and you watch the quarterback play that those two teams got? I don't know how you watch that and say, yeah, we'll get past these guys with subpar quarterback play. I, I agree. I agree with you on, on those points. I will say the first time Jimmy G went to a Super Bowl, he didn't need the blocked punt and the blocked field goal and the Packers offense or whatever. He just needed uh, Raheem Mostert to run for 200 and something yards against the Packers. But um, <laughs> to right. to the other points, to the quarterback points, the problem is you're not getting a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes, no. a Joe Burrow this offseason. You're just not doing it. And the crazy no, thing not. is if the Titans had – Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, or Joe Burrow on Saturday instead of Ryan Tannehill, they're playing next weekend. That's the crazy thing. Ryan Tannehill was far and away the worst quarterback in the AFC divisional round. Is he yeah. better than Jimmy Garoppolo? I think so. So I don't think he's the worst quarterback so in the playoffs, but the worst in the AFC last weekend, no doubt about it. And he was the only one to throw a touchdown pass until the the <laughs> duel between Mahomes and Allen took off and Stafford obviously and Brady. So I guess he was just it was just Saturday. But anyway <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think your point is well taken that it will take a great performance from a lot of other elements of the team. And the Titans didn't get a good special teams performance. And meanwhile Evan McPherson makes all four of his field goals, two from over fifty. If any of those don't go in, the Titans can win the game. If the Titans convert a two point conversion, if the Titans convert a third down or a fourth down, like there's so many ifs if if maybe if, the ifs. Bengals don't get that penalty and you kick the extra point, right? Like that's oh you my can, gosh, you can, like you could yeah. play out the scenarios. Oh, and I don't yeah, I don't think that, you know, I'm not blaming Vrabel for that or anything, but it's a possibility, right? That they could have been up 17-16 at the end of that game with the ball in their hands. And instead of throwing it 15 yards down the field, they're trying to run out the clock, right? I, I You know what? This is an interesting psych, uh, philosophical question, and I don't want to take too much more time because I think we've hit every point that there is to hit about this game. But the Titans could have kicked a field goal on fourth and one instead of going for it. And I know, like, all the rage about analytics and everything is, like, you go for it on fourth down nowadays. But in the playoffs, we've seen it now. Maybe I'm using anecdotes and that's the wrong way to look at this, but the Ravens kept going for it on fourth down against the Titans. They wouldn't take the points. They kept going for fourth down. This is back to two years ago or 2019, three years, two years ago. Um, 2019 AFC divisional round when the Titans beat the Ravens. Ravens were 0 for 4, I think, on fourth down in that game. Just take the points once. I mean, look, I understand the analytics, but somebody, was it McVay or I don't remember which game I'm even thinking of now, but somebody took the points in in a different playoff game this weekend instead of going forward on fourth down and they ended up winning and i think in the playoffs like especially when your offense can't like do a whole lot and yeah they average a lot of yards per play but they weren't scoring any points while you're there take the points they take those three points they either win or they go to overtime but but saying that take those three points wasn't it like a 54 yard field goal versus a fourth and one 52 yard field goal I'm I'm taking the fourth and one. Yeah, maybe 52 yards is too far to say you With just Randy go Bullock, for it. You just... I might kick it if I have Evan McPherson. <laughs> and hey, that's another point. The Titans haven't been solid on special teams for a while. And that goes back to the point we had at the very beginning of this podcast, which feels like two hours ago. But Craig Alkerman, I mean, your unit wasn't good this year, bro, on a lot of levels. So some good coverage occasionally, but not in this Bengals game where they kept giving up returns to the 40-yard line. So anyway, um, the Titans have a lot to figure out this offseason, and you and I will dig into all of it. I think next week we're going to talk about what offseason needs, a plan for the Titans offseason, what they could realistically do, cha what changes they could actually make to this roster. What do you got? Yeah, can I say one thing before we, before we kind of go out? Because I wanted to say it earlier. Um, I I don't, it's kind of a grim thing to say, but I, I think my biggest fear entering next season is that um, I'm a Toronto, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hockey fan. Some of you might know I'm from Toronto. I don't know how many of our listeners watch hockey, but I'm from Toronto. The Toronto Maple Leafs are known chokers in the playoffs, <laughs> right? And, and don't get me wrong. The Titans are nowhere near uh, the history of how bad the Leafs were. The Leafs haven't won a cup since 1967. They're the most popular team in hockey. They're the most expensive team in hockey. So it's like the, the Leafs are the Dallas Cowboys. That's the best way I can explain it to you if you're not a hockey fan. But I think my fear with this Titans team is that no matter how good the Leafs do in the regular season, and they're doing pretty good right now, 
90% of Lee fans are like, show me in the playoffs. I don't give a damn. Show me in the playoffs. I think after the Titans have ruined this, you know, back-to-back division titles, losing two playoff games at home, I think I'd have a tough time getting excited about another 10, 11 win season in the regular season division title. I think they've probably reached a point where it's show us in the playoffs. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's going to be like a, we're going to have a jaded fan base mentality next season because of that. Again, even if they went, like you said, 12 games, they could win 14 games and have the one seed again. And Titans fans are going to be like, we're probably going to lose at home with the one seed in the divisional round because They've seen it. The Titans are 0-3 <laughs> you know, now as the one seed. I almost rather them take that approach now than, please, nobody talk about d- disres- national disrespect next season. They're not being taken seriously as a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, a four seed. Nobody wants to hear it. Show us in the playoffs. I will say all the all the worst one seed of all time talk. And like after this game, there was a lot of like, oh, it looks like the Titans really were the worst one seed of all time. It's like that to me is bullshit because the Titans defense was unbelievable in this game. Nine motherfucking sacks. Unbelievable. The the offense, second most yards per play of any team in the weekend. It's like they weren't a horrible team. They had a bad performance from a quarterback. That is why they lost. And I think it like there yes. is there's people on Twitter who tweeted at me and everyone and all this nonsense who say things like, well, you look at the third down play, you look at they gave up this, they did that, this happened, they had this penalty, like blah, 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 like a list of things that like went wrong for the team is like, this is the other reasons that they lost. And my response to that is you can make a list like that for basically every team in every game of football that has ever happened. Teams make mistakes. The only time you can't do that is the Bills against the Patriots two weeks ago because that is the only perfect game that's ever happened in NFL history. There will always be a list of mistakes that a team made that could have cost them the game. The Bengals have a list that long themselves, and they won. The difference is the Bengals didn't have a quarterback throw three interceptions. Like There's not a list of three interceptions long for every game for every team. So... Put all your other, this is why the Titans lost, that isn't Ryan Tannehill, to the side. Because those things happen in every single game. Ryan Tannehill throwing three interceptions, that's why they lost. It's that simple. And I hate to boil it down to one person, put the blame on one thing in a close game where any play could go differently and change the outcome. But ultimately, that's what it boils down to. So if that means the Titans need to make a change at quarterback in order to advance further in the playoffs, maybe they do. But... I don't think it's going to be 2022. So they're going to run it back next year and see if they can't get better. Like you said, a speedy wide receiver threat and a, an actual tight end who can play both both roles in, as a blocker and pass catcher in the offense. I mean, if they have Johnny Smith on Saturday, they win this game. I, I believe that with all my heart. Do you? I don't know. It's tough to say. It's tough to say, but I do think wide receiver three, upgrading tight end room, and maybe making a change or two on the offensive line. Yeah, and maybe on the offensive staff too. Maybe they don't fire anybody, but they brought in Jim Schwartz to help on the defense this past season. Maybe there's somebody out there, a Tim Kelly, who was fired as Houston's offensive coordinator, can come in and be be a pass game coordinator or something. You know, one more thing. I know we're going on and on here, but... Something that frustrated me, two things that frustrated me about Todd Downing. One that's been kind of talked about at length on the Twitter timeline is the opening game script, Todd Downing scripted plays, the Titans' first drive. Zach Lyons at F-Words Pod did a thread on this a couple weeks ago. The Titans were horrible on their opening drive all season long. That's Todd Downing. That's your offensive coordinator. Well, and then Mike Vrabel disagrees with you. That's why I tried not to cut you off, but I'm glad you said that because it jogged my memory. Mike Vrabel disagrees with you. When I brought up his end of year press conference, uh, you know, um, several minutes ago on this podcast, he was actually asked about opening game script and, and how it went so poorly. And he actually said uh, it's also execution related. So it's one of those things that made me feel like they're shifting blame away from coaching and, on, and even away from Tannehill and onto surrounding weapons and personnel. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, it's possible, but it was a problem all season long, and like, at a certain point, and this goes back to the malarkey argument, at a certain point, if your players aren't executing, then your coordinator is not teaching them the details correctly, or emphasizing the right details, or whatever it is, like, it, it always comes back to coaching, in my opinion, and then my other problem, they had a great play, it was like a first and 10, they ran a really quick out to Julio, Tannehill got the ball out in like, one and a half seconds, 
Julio gains eight yards, steps out of bounds. Where is that in the offense? It was the only time they ran a play that even resembled that at all the whole game. Quick passes to your wide receivers who can beat man coverage, especially Julio Jones. AJ Brown can beat man coverage. He's not super consistent at beating man coverage. He's great at getting open over the middle on play action, catching the ball and running after the catch and making contested catches. Not the best at beating man coverage. He can still do it. But Julio Jones can beat man coverage every single time. No one can hang with Julio Jones in man coverage. And when you have Derrick Henry back and the Bengals are up on the line to stop the run, run your quick passing game to these receivers more. The, the Titans passing game all season drove me crazy, but just like, don't run a screen to Chester Rogers. Run a quick out to Julio Jones. And if it's not there, Tannehill can sail it over his head and throw it out of bounds. It's a safe play that you can gain eight yards on. And it just drives me crazy that that isn't a bigger component of the Titans offense and hasn't been dating back to 1997. I mean, it's never been a component of the Titans offense <laughs> to run a quick passing game. But anyway, the, just let, airing out the frustrations. That's what this end of season wrap up pod is for. And uh, do you have any other frustrations you want to air out before I sign us off? I think that pretty much does it. Well, we appreciate anyone who tuned in this week. Look, I'm not, I'll am not. i be candid with, the, with our audience. I watch the numbers. We watch the numbers. We see what episodes are popular and what aren't. There is a consistent drop-off in listenership after a loss. After a season-ending loss, I'll be surprised if anyone tunes in. But hey, to any of you guys who made it this far, we really appreciate you. We really appreciate you following along all season. It's been a fun one. It was a successful Titans regular season. They got the one seed and a horrible failure of a playoff run. Very disappointing end to what was a pretty fun year um, to see this team overcome all these injuries and still get that one seed. Mike Vrabel could still win coach of the year. They already voted. They voted before the playoffs started. So don't worry about this ruining Vrabel's chances to win coach of the year. That could still happen. But uh, yeah, really disappointing. Vrabel's got some soul searching to do himself as the head coach of a team that has been one and done in back-to-back years at home. All right, that will do it for us here at the Music City Audible. Follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. Check out the new podcast I'm producing for the NFL called Benched with Bonetta. It's super fun. I'm the producer of the show, but Rachel is really great. Rachel Bonetta, the host brings me onto the show constantly to, to share my own opinion, which is fun. So check out that show as well and check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. That'll do it for this season. We'll be back next week to really get into the off season way sooner than anyone expected. All right, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.